This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome to the New Books Network. I'm your host, Roberto Mazza, and today for the series Middle Eastern Studies, my guests are Professor Salim Tamari, Professor Issam Nassar, and Professor Stephen Shihai. They are the authors of Camera Palestina, Photography and Displaced Histories of Palestine, published by University of California Press in 2022, and available both in paperback and as an ebook in a open version access, which means everybody can access it for free. This book is very much about the photographic collections put together by Wasib Juaria. Wasib Juaria was a Jerusalemite Christian Palestinian that lived between the end of the 19th century and the mid late uh, 20th century. And he left us with an amazing and very important uh, set of memoirs, but he's also known as a musician and a collector of pictures and photographs. So today, with the authors of the book, we're going to talk about uh, the approach, how the book was born, and certainly the collections and the photographs that Wasif Juaria collected. Welcome to everybody. And the first question I want to ask you, in fact, is uh, perhaps starting with Sam, if you can tell us a little bit about yourself and also how this book came to be. And then we will follow with Salim and Stephen. Okay, thank you, uh, Roberto. My name is Isam Nassar. I am currently a professor of history at the Doha Institute for Graduate Studies in Qatar. This is a project that started many years ago, perhaps close to uh, a decade almost. Originally, uh, uh, Salim Tamari and I worked on the memoirs of Wasif Johariye, and we became aware of his collection of albums that he uh, put together during his lifetime or early on before leaving Palestine. And uh, we've... uh uh, Stephen was also interested in this and uh, he proposed we do a book. We were also thinking about doing a book, so we joined forces and uh, it was a very pleasant experience. I hope we can uh, do it again. Stephen, please. Oh, okay. I was going to defer to uh, uh, Salim, but uh, my name is uh, Stephen Shihai. Um, in Arabic, my pronouns are he, his, and I'm beaming in from Pamunkey Occupied Territory, otherwise known as Virginia. Uh, thank you for having me. Um, I think um, uh, Isam 
basically summed it up. You know, we we converged. I, I knew, of course, of the work largely because, of course, of Salim and Isam's uh, work and publishing the memoirs, both in Arabic and English, which are really monumental contributions to the field. But also at the time I was um, when I discovered that work, I was uh, writing another book on photography and um, uh, the Jawaharia collection um, uh, featured in, in that book. And I think our conversations um, initially came up with uh, me bouncing an article um, uh, through, I think, Jerusalem Quarterly with Salim. And and again, it just, you know, Jawaharia has a, a talent to um, generate synergies between people. Uh, you can see the sort of uh, academic life he's uh, taking on uh, already. So I think we're just... Uh, uh, kind of a product of of, of the, the richness of that whole oeuvre, that whole co uh, um, collection. And also, I just have to say, is a, um, part of it is I have had a long, wonderful relationship also with, with Aysam because of our shared interest in photography. So it wasn't just kind of like, and of course, Salim, I was I knew of him before. I knew him uh, mildly. We were friends, kind of uh, acquaintances, but this actually allowed us all to come together more. And really, I'm so appreciative of the process because it was really fantastic. Thank you. I'm Salim Tamari, and uh, I am a sociologist teaching at Birzeit University and a research associate at the Institute for Palestine Studies. Uh, as Isam and Stefan mentioned, we had a long association with the memoirs of Wasif Juhariye, who we worked on editing but more than 10 years ago. And what is interesting is that this detailed memoir of Jerusalem, which covers the late uh, uh, 19th century and the early first part of the mandate rule in Palestine, is accompanied by a very rich photographic collection, which uh, Wasif has annotated. And now we uh, work with the photographs and try to contextualize it uh, within the narrative that he had established in his uh, memoirs. So it's a combination of interpretive uh, social history of uh, Palestine and Jerusalem as seen through his photographic albums. So let me ask a question about uh, sort of uh, the question of pictures. So in the foreword, um, you make the very interesting uh, and very important point that you do not just explore a collection of pictures, that these are the pictures of Wasif Juaria, and we're going to talk about him later, but you are reimagining the visual records of Ottoman and British Palestine. So I was wondering, what does that mean, and actually, how does that work? Well, I, I just want to let me just set up... Um... Isam, maybe you want to talk about actually just how you would conceptualize the concept of an archive, and then we can maybe build on that, because I think that's part of it is, is the foundational base of, of that question. Okay, well, uh, for us, uh, it was not just about pictures. Of course, you know, looking at the, uh, each and individual image in the collection was uh, was amazing itself. Also, Johariya managed to put together more than 900 pages in a total of seven albums that he or organized in some uh, form of chronology, chronological sense. Uh, but we looked at this in, in, in various ways, and we, uh, you know, each dealt with it in a different way. Uh, one way we looked at it is uh, as constituting an archive 
put together about Ottoman and British Palestine, particularly Ottoman and British Jerusalem, though sometimes it goes outside of Jerusalem. So we raise questions about the archive, archiving issue of of archive and how um, uh, do we think of archived images and their role. And at the same time, uh, we looked, at least in in my chapter, I uh, tried to look at the issue of narrative. Since they are an organized album, what what sort of story put together in all of these images do they tell us? Uh, and of course, there are other, other questions that we uh, raised, but perhaps my colleagues would each address how they raised the, the kinds of issues uh, uh, relevant to the albums. Salima. Uh, so I just, uh, you know, I think that's, um, you can see why I, I wanted Isam um, sort of tee us up for that, right? To think about the archive as a sort of like body of knowledge that is actually sort of always only in, um, uh, only in relationship with how we produce knowledge and how we produce meaning. So this sort of, you know, archive as this sort of like constantly collecting thing and also thing that sort of moves around and, and expands and contracts. Um, so I, I think for me uh, um, to center the idea that the visual, let's call it the visual archive of the late Ottoman uh, period and the Mandite period is also um, an archive that becomes a body of work that we can think about how we produce knowledge, right? And how we can listen to how knowledge is produced through the, both the collection and the, the sort of organization of that knowledge by the folks who did it, but then also our inter, uh, interaction with it, right? So I'm, I think it's really important for us to think of this piece as both kind of like a collaboration with uh, Jawahariya, right, in producing the sort of, uh, an, an exercise in producing um, what Arab knowledge uh, might look like, right? Um, so I think that's, I don't know if this is, that's too abstract, but I'm just thinking about, again, how a whole new generation of, let's call them late Ottoman scholars, and and particularly of our provinces, are re-engaging the sort of archive, and in doing so kind of completely have reimagined over the past 30 years what Ottoman late the, late, the late Ottoman period has looked like, um, precisely because it's sort of new approach to how we conceptualize our interaction with the, with the archive. Uh, well, there are two levels of archiving that was involved in this work. Uh, you, we have to remember that Wasif is extremely chaotic in the way he narrates his own life and his relationship to what was happening in Jerusalem at the time. So uh, we had to impunge some kind of order on it, which actually existed in the photographic collection, because photographic collection is thematically organized. And what is brilliant about it is an extremely detailed index of what appears in these images and how they correspond to his own memoirs. So he did have a kind of conceptualization, but as I mentioned, it was extremely chaotic and we had to reorder it in a way to give it probably more chaos at the end. Uh, we, we tried to give it an order, but I don't know to what degree we succeeded. Now, each one of us took a theme in this chronological order. We tried to give it 
an amount of conceptualization that was obviously not in the origin. For example, I took the notion of spectacle in Jerusalem as seen through the photographic collection, and I dealt with the spectacle of ritual and ceremonials, which he spends a lot of uh, time uh, chronicling in his description of religious uh, processions, of uh, uh, what we call maqamat uh, al-awliya, and uh, basically the the mass uh, um, spectacles in Jerusalem. And then I went through a very important observation that he makes about dramatic spectacle, which fills a lot of his memoirs, which is the concerts, the musical concerts that he was attending and he was participating in. And then his description of the cinematograph, which was just beginning to be shown in Jerusalem, his description of Khayal uh, Zil, uh, which uh, we call Karakos, or uh, I think in English it would be called the Shadow Theater. And that's a very rich material, which you only find in uh, Wasif Jari. For example, his use of text in which the shadow theater, which preceded a modernist theater, people actually uh, uh, displayed the conflict between rural and urban, between peasants and landlords, between rich people and poor people. And uh, what is interesting about that is that these texts were actually submitted to the Ottoman censor before the British came to clear them because they were highly political in content, although they are very satirical and comic in form. So that's another spectacle. And the third spectacle I dealt with was the actual collapse of the city during the war and how he was an observer and participant in that momentous event that ended up with the surrender of Jerusalem in 1917. And now, what is interesting in, in the photographic dimension of these spectacles is that he recorded in extreme detail uh, um, the personages, the events, the people involved on pictures which are quite often available in the public domain, such as in Library of Congress. But only in Johari you see the marking of the people involved in these images, but also the nature of the event which took place, such as the very iconic picture of the fall of Jerusalem, where Mayor Husseini uh, surrenders the city to, to the British. So in, in that particular iconic photo, you see details which you do not see at all in any of the classical uh, presentation of that photograph. Now, we talked about Wasif Juwaria several times since the beginning of uh, the podcast. So I was wondering if you can tell us uh, a little bit more about uh, Wasif. And also, since you mentioned about, uh, uh, you mentioned the question of conceptualizing the, the archives and the photographic material, and also uh, in this context, uh, the reading of his memoirs, how do we avoid uh, reading nostalgia and you know how do we take nostalgia away from the memoirs and from the the ways in which we look at the life of Wasif Joria yeah I'm, I'm happy to jump in on that I have a, a, a um, 
you know, uh, a lot of strong feels about uh, melancholy and and um, and um, uh, nostalgia. And I think um, I think Salim kind of teases out also what melancholy can look like, but without necessarily um, falling back into the political. Um, uh, traps of nostalgia, right? Because in the end, uh, I really want to uh, focus um, that um, this book, for me at least, and I, I think um, you know my co-authors would definitely agree that this is book is about disrupting settler futures and about the, the, the natural the naturalness of the settler colony and nostalgia. What that does. Isn't, it only sets us back fixed in a particular time and does nothing to disrupt the settler futures that are not necessarily inevitable if we know how to center Palestinian lives. Um, so I think what, what, what nostalgia uh, um, can be retooled to do, and I think Salim does this with a great reading of melancholy, is to think about multiple temporalities. <laughs> Right. In what ways does this um, does this archive that does this Joe Hadi's work um, communicate certain things at the same time that cut through different histories and exist in, in multiple p- uh, points of history at the same time? So there's this chaotic uh, again, as Salim said, there's a chaotic sort of element about how this is organized, but also like a, a hyper um, uh, disciplined um, organizing in an index. So. You know, what we have then is, is when we think about, for example, the, the Intifada Barak or something like this, right? And then how can we think of that in a particular moment that also exists now when we think about an Intifada in uh, Al-Aqsa, right? How, do we, how can we look at this piece as cutting across time in multiple temp- temporalities? And I think that's, that's, where, um, that's what fights off the sort of regressive nature of, um, of nostalgia. Well, I'd like to uh, get in on this and add, uh, I agree with uh, Stephen completely. Well, this book is not about nostalgia. In fact, nostalgia is rather problematic in our current time after practically the disastrous situation of the Palestinians and the Palestinian cause uh, internationally and locally, etc. It seems like people are resorting to uh, this kind of nostalgic vision of the glorious past before we lost Palestine. That's not what we do. What we do here in this book is we take images produced in certain times by certain photographers in, and then collected to tell a story by uh, Wasaf Juhariya. And we rethink these images either individually or collectively in order to uh, sort of look into the time period and its sort of complexities. Uh, we kind of take out of these images not only the, the visual element uh, in, in general, in terms of aesthetics or, or what have you. Rather, we look at what kind of social relations, for example, hierarchy, the social order, relations between uh, 
uh, poor and rich or, or colonized and, and authorities since uh, Johari is also fond of uh, including images of, of Ottoman leaders and British leaders and, and highlighting his relationship. So we kind of, uh, uh, kind of deconstruct the images in a way where we can uh, have a window into the social history of the period in a way that I think traditional history writing uh, has so far about Palestine has failed or did not contribute significantly to this. Um, I will uh, bring you an example about the paradoxical nature of his nostalgic writings. Uh, Johari in the uh, writing about the British period, looking back at the Ottoman period, there's an element of nostalgia and loss for the great events that were taking place during the war, especially at the end. Uh, and then you discover that this nostalgic attitude to the Ottomans is really a description of a very shitty period in his life. But as he described it, it's extremely joyous and um, almost uh, um, hedonistic. Um, an example of this is his description of a song that he wrote in 1916 about the famine years, which is uh, 1915, 1916 was a period of famine in Mount Lebanon, in Syria, and in the urban part of Jerusalem. So what he does, he composes a, a little ditty, which is a kind of song, uh, which is called Karshat. And Karshat actually is an ode to all the foods that people have missed during the war and celebrating the various uh, stuffed material that Jerusalem has used to enjoy. And then he sings it and, and uh, describes these foods in detail and calls it Karshat. Karshat, of course, is an Arabic term for what the Western audience would know as uh, haggis, the Scottish filled uh, tribes. And that song actually is phenomenal because it's an ode to food in a time of hunger. So it's, it's a very satirical piece, but nostalgic at the same time. And he then goes on to say that this became the national anthem of Palestine for the post-war period. Now, of course, he was making fun of himself and the peace, but in a very genuine way of sort of counter-nostalgia. I was wondering before moving forward to um, you know the question for every and each one of you. I was wondering if you can tell us a little bit more about Wasif in terms of like uh, the biographical details. Who was he? How you know where did he work and what happened to him basically? Uh, I can start with that if my colleagues would allow me. Um, Wasif is a very intriguing character. He spent most of his life seeking patronage by the big potentates of Jerusalem, especially the Husseini family. He came from a middle-class clerical family. His father was the uh, Orthodox Mukhtar of the old city. He grew up in a, 
musical, fun-loving family. He, early on, he used to uh, perform music in weddings and neighborhoods, but he also uh, played for what was known as the uh, garçonniers or the rooms of the rich of Jerusalem from the big family, especially the Husseinis and the Nishashibis and the Jarallas. So he became, he always sought some kind of employment with these families where he doesn't have to work. He would have an income but no work. So early on he attached himself to Mayor Salim al-Husseini and then his son Hussein Hashim al-Husseini and found work in the municipality of Jerusalem. And then later after the war, he became uh, a cleric, uh, sorry, not a cleric, but a clerk in the accounting office of the British government dealing with uh, taxes and, uh, and land. But his real job actually was a performer. He was a oud performer, he was a songwriter, and he, he took uh, seriously only his work as an entertainer. And that, I think, summarizes uh, the nature of his character. Well, if I may add, uh, you know, Wasif, uh, just to uh, add the dates, was born at the end, last few years of the 19th century and lived until 1972 and uh, spent... his whatever is going to be 50 some years of his life since his birth uh, in Jerusalem until 1948 when uh, uh, West Jerusalem, the western part of Jerusalem, fall, uh, fell to the Zionists with the establishment of the State of Israel and he moved eventually to Jericho and ended up in Beirut. Uh, but to add to what Salib said, which is I fully agree with that, Wasif was. Uh, a witty character in some sense and a good storyteller beside uh, his musical talents and uh, his uh, you know to to uh, kind of uh, uh, confirm what salim said part of his collection of the photographs I, the way I saw it, at least, is an attempt to place himself within the social hierarchy of Jerusalem uh, because he has images of all the mayors, of all the Ottoman and British governors, of all the clergy, etc., etc. And in his notebook, as well as sometimes in the memoirs, he highlights his relationship with them. You rarely see images of Wasif. There's one or two, perhaps, only in, in, in the albums. But in all of the images in which he's absent, and they are images of important people or events, there is some sort of anecdote where he inserts himself, I was there, I witnessed this. So in some, self, in some sense, you know, he, he did great work, we appreciated it, etc. But he was also trying to, to promote his status, one could say, in some sort of anecdotal way, I think. He invented the selfie. Uh, there's a great photograph, actually, of him uh, attending a hanging of a soldier, I think, for desertion. And you see him in the background of the hanging, sort of waving his hand. I'm here <laughs> attending the, the hanging. I want to ask a few questions out to each and one of you. And I want to start with Issam. And I was wondering, 
if you can tell us a little bit more about the work of Wasif as a photographer, and also, what do you have a, a sense of why, uh, you know, what were the reasons for him to document Palestine through pictures and photography? Thank you. Uh, well, Wasif was not a photographer. In fact, none of the images in the collection were taken by him. Wasif was a collector. And he uh, says sometimes that some of, uh, in his uh, notebooks, that I was gifted some of the photographs, usually by the notables in the city or, or, or leaders and others. And there are some uh, few pictures, like picture of the uh, sort of, uh, I suppose we can call him administrator, Ottoman administrator of Jerusalem during World War I, uh, which is signed to Wasif. So th- there is a proof of that, definitely. At the same time, the rest of the collection are, are uh, largely, I mean, we, there are some pictures we could not identify because Wasif did not keep a record of who the photographer was, but many of the pictures are known either in their sort of card divisions postcard uh, that they were available in Jerusalem photographs by known photographers like Khalil Rad or uh, the uh, American colony photographers but he acquired these images in order and used them in a way uh, to tell his own story or the story of his own city in this case the story of Jerusalem and why did he collect I think it was part I mean this, you know he doesn't state that clearly but uh, since he left us his memoirs I think it was part and parcel of his larger project which he called the Johariye project or the Johariye collection uh, where he left his memoirs but also tried to uh, leave a, a series of albums that might go along with the memoirs I mean perhaps he thought they would go along and they go along well but they don't correspond exactly to the memoirs, they were a project that he worked on at a different time, it seems. So uh, it's part of him, you know, uh, I mean, he started, the the interesting part is he started this project, he states that it started in 1924. So it did not actually start after the fall of Palestine, after he became refugee, looking back and remembering his days. But it was at the time of the events, in, in most cases, in some cases, of course, he looks at Ottoman period but collecting the images afterwards but even when he does that, you know, starting in 1924 uh, where the Ottoman uh, Empire itself disappeared, it does not exist, he still includes the images of the Ottoman period with a sense as if they were from the time. For example he dedicates uh, the first album to the Sultan Uh, His Majesty the Sultan, which we know from his memoir that he resented Ottomans, especially the conscription, and he was jubilant about the the end of Ottoman rule in Jerusalem. But yet when he uh, talked or or inserted images of Ottoman leaders, he made it appear as if this was an official uh, Ottoman album produced by the state somehow. Out of curiosity, I know it's not in the book, but I was wondering if there's any sense about uh, uh, the cost of collecting pictures. What is an expensive business back then in Palestine? 
Well, I, I maybe uh, Stephen knows, but I think uh, it must have been because it wasn't uh, as widespread, especially early images. It must he must have spent a bundle on it. But I maybe Stephen has more sense of the economics of the process. I, you know, that's a great question, and I think you know. Um, I don't know. It's hard to track the political economy of you know visual production at this time. I think um, what's important is that question kind of alerts us, obviously, to Johari's class a position, right? And I think that um, I'm not, um, you know, as they say in Arabic, calculating his calculations to see how much he has available and see how much he has in the bank. But he did have enough to be a collector, and I think it's really important for us to sort of think about like the relationship between his collection of photographs. Uh, photographs, but then also those sitting alongside other um, artifacts, right? Because he was collecting, um, you know, uh, you know, musical instruments and furniture and sort of all these things. He actually specifically does say that he intentionally is establishing or had the desire to establish a national museum. Right, influenced by the governor uh, store, all store. He actually says this, um, and. Um, I think it's really important because, you know, this is what I mean where Palestine becomes complex because in any other context, you know, someone would have been who, you know, would have been thinking about how you have this petite bourgeois, um, you know, person from 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 Palestine imagining what uh, a national identity looks like. Right. And I think that's what he's uh, to some degree. We're always looking at Palestine through the disruption of the Nakba, through this cataclysmic thing, and seeing it as a, uh, a sort of a trajectory. But you know, he was living in Palestine at that moment, thinking about in a colonial context about Palestine, about what that constitutes his social life, and and all of his objects, whether it's this, which which the 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 the, the photographs or the artifacts or. Um, he puts these in relationship with them. He taught, says how he puts them in relationship with one another in his matthaf, in his little um, um, museum in his house. And um, what happens to the, what's fascinating is what happens to these these photographs is they're the only ones, only objects that survive the catastrophe. So somehow they become infused with a sort of magical sort of power to tell us about a certain moment. But as they were being deployed, he's right there. He's just kind of thinking about what it is to be Palestinian, what constitutes the social life that he lives, uh, which is what his whole narrative, his whole oeuvre is about, really about, you know, narrating the social life, the lived social life of, of Quds and Palestine. Yeah, I would like to add... Uh... What uh, Stephen mentioned is very significant to think of his of Wasif as a collector, not only of artifacts but of musical instruments. He had a, a a small museum which contained probably one of the largest uh, oud uh, and musical instruments collection in the country, maybe in the region. And, uh, of course, he boasts a lot in his memoirs, but there is material evidence that this was true because I found two articles taken from the Palestine Post of the period 
of the reporters visiting his museum and reporting how extensive it is. There is also evidence from the musicologist, ethnomusicologist uh, Robert Lachmann, uh, the German uh, uh, scholar who interviewed and recorded the uh, the the music of uh, Wasif as a part of the repertoire of popular music in Jerusalem at the time. So there is some evidence that as a collector, he had a, a substantial weight of preserving this material before the collapse uh, of 1948. Isam, I want to ask you something about the chapter Visual Interlude. In that chapter, you discuss the gender question. And uh, while women were certainly underrepresented in uh, Wasif albums, I was wondering if you can tell us more about the women in those photographs. Uh, well, I mean, yes, uh, generally speaking, women were underrepresented, but they were not absent. For example, he has a, a few photographs of the demonstration of the Arab women that took place uh, in 1929 in front of the uh, office of the High Commissioner uh, for Palestine, and uh, he names uh, he, uh, all all those present. And I'm trying to remember there was uh, uh, the <coughs> um, trying to remember their names, but they were all um, you know Nabiha Nasser, I believe, who is uh, from the family that established Bir Zayt University. Matil Mughannam, who is was a woman activist in Palestine. Uh, there was the uh, uh, wife of Awni Abdelhadi. I'm sorry, I forgot her name uh, at this moment. So he, uh, along basically, he documents some of the activities of women. But clearly, his general um, uh, interest was in documenting the events and the people uh, who, as I mentioned earlier, uh, were sort of the notables in the city and the people you need to know and. Typically, in that time, those were, uh, you know, men, uh, perhaps still continues to this day in some form or another, but it was definitely in that time, the men. But but he seemed to be, uh, you know, still managed to insert images of women here and there. Uh, that's one. But the other element, he, he had a fascination with some of the women artists that visited the region, like the... Badi Masabni, the famous Lebanese uh, Egyptian dancer, uh, he had the fascination with uh, Asmahan, uh, the the singer at the time, Syrian, who was famous. In so the you know he had particular interest in in certain women of certain class and certain role in society, but not many of their images appear in the albums. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Sax.com. And if I, if I could just... Um, tag on to that. I think it's really what I found 
really fascinating is actually the discrepancy between the visual archive and his uh, written archive, shall we say, right? Um, where his memoirs, as Salim and Isam have written about in the show, is, you know, there are a, a myriad of different women in this uh, in, in his narrative, right? There are sex workers and 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 and, and you know people who be whatever sort of merchants or whatever. And so there's a lot of different, as well as wives, of course, and you know and daughters. But they're largely absent from this narrative, the visual narrative, um, and that made I think at least me think about. Um, Federici's idea of social production and gender, and where we think about gender is not just about representation, right? Women, we can find some women in this uh, visual narrative that he 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 uh, leaves us, but on the other hand, what is really being erased, of course, is the social product, the, the role of women in the social reproduction of Palestine, right? Uh, and that is labor, and that is like physical labor, like b- making babies for the physical labor, and it's such a labor, labor that makes you, you know, your, your life livable and doable. That all falls on 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 women, right? So I think this is where that visual interlude came from, and I think, you know, um, after collaborating on this um, with with uh, Salim and Isam, I, I can't help. Like, so I just went back to the book because uh, I've, I've been away from it for a while, and I, I read that, reread that visual interlude, and it struck me every time you look at the woman. I mean, at, at, at the images after that, even though there are only one or two of actual women, you can't help but see the women in this field of men somehow erased. <laughs> Right, so it's us. It's it's up to us to think about critically about the place in which gender and sexuality are always there, but we but we're sort of distracted by whether or not they're visually represented. That's a methodological, a really tough feminist, you know, decolonial methodological question that that, that has has worked out, and a lot of folks do it. Um, I think we only do it just well, a tiny bit. Uh, I would like to add uh, to this point. In notation, the absence of women in the visual part, of course, is very striking, and it's very significant in the way that uh, Stefan has um, um, illustrated. But part of it has to do with the kind of women he associated with. Uh, there is a very interesting episode of his relationship with Persephone, who was the mistress of uh, Smail Husseini. And his role, as with other women, uh, other mistresses of the Jerusalem elite, was to be their teacher, uh, their musical uh, instructor. He, he taught them how to play the oud. But the description of his relationship with them is astounding. I mean, in the case of Persephone, who was discarded after she became mature, quote-unquote, by Husseini, he actually... He had a continued relationship with this woman who, under his um, ages, at least the way he described it, she became a businesswoman working with the production of uh, Zatar oil as a medicinal product. So he continued with them 
way after they ceased to be part of the households of the Jerusalem elite. And it's a very moving episode, actually, his relationship with her. It's one of the rare moments he describes in detail his relationship with one of these women. And it does reflect something about his character. If I may add one thing, in, in that interlude, we included uh, uh, one picture of the demonstration that I alluded to before, and this is a demonstration by elite women. Uh, but then there is a picture of a peasant woman, or actually a Bedouin woman, a nameless Bedouin woman. We know the source of the picture. I think it's by Khalil Rad. I'm, I'm not certain right now. But uh, uh, And in that sense, we have uh, a representation that's almost oriental. And, and there's a level of self-orientalizing. So here we are. I have a Bedouin for you in the collection, but she's nameless. She doesn't represent anything. She's not important. So it's almost like as if he's including people's types, the way the European photographers use to include uh, those in their books about the Holy Land. Uh, but Again, the number of women that appear in the pictures are, is uh, very, very limited in that sense. Salim, I would like to ask you something about uh, the work produced by Wasif. Uh, he produced music, he collected pictures, he wrote a memoir. What do we learn about Palestine and Jerusalem? Uh, that's a very good question, actually. What we learn from the memoir supplements the visual history that he produced with the albums uh, in that he focuses uh, on the mundane, that is on social life, maybe mundane is not the right word, but he focuses on cultural events which are totally absent from other narratives that we get from that period. Uh, street life, uh, concerts, ceremonials, which are described in extreme detail, and how they were transformed by war, and then later by the official uh, ushering of the of the mandate period and the uh, anti-colonial revolts of 1936-39. So instead of focusing on the political aspects, he focuses on the underlying shifts in people's behavior, people's attitude, the way they partook in... Um, picnics, in uh, processions, uh, and so on, and his own involvement in these events. So his own life actually is a reflection of the great transformation which took place in, in Jerusalem. And he's very cognizant of this. He, he, he as Sam said, he inserts himself in these events as if he is intruding, but actually the End result is we see a very panoramic view of these great events, which, of course, is neither chronological nor thematic, but it's uh, presented as vignettes. And our task in editing the book and also in presenting the photographic albums is to reorganize these vignettes to give it some kind of scholarly coherence, which may we may or may not have uh, succeeded. I want to move to Stephen, and I want to ask you something about uh, the chapter, which I really loved, uh, and starts with this uh, sentence, the Orientalist Photographic Archives is a stolen archive. And I was wondering if you can take us through uh, what this means for Palestine. Yeah, thanks for zooming in on that. I think 
I have to thank the Jawhariya sort of experience to, uh, to, for, for having allowed me to have this realization, right? Because, you know, all of us have always done with, you know, Orientalism for forever and, and we think of it as objectifying, et cetera, et cetera. But then I realized in this process that, you know, that obviously folks have written that photography is, you know, one of many apparatuses of colonialism and it, it becomes a colonial mode, however, also of extraction. So I'm thinking about what is it that has been extracted? What is it ha that has been stolen, right? It's what has been stolen is the very images of colonial lands, right? And the Holy Land, quote unquote, maintains a really special place in this sort of imaginary, but it's the imaginary, of course, of the Christian West that comes to define that. And so it's kind of a, to, to in order to have imagined um, the Orient, in many ways, we can think about the visual in, index, as it were. So those things that we are looking at as, as, as a resource that was, extracted and stolen and recoded by uh, Orientalist photography, right? So, but what made me think of that is actually the way in which Jauhiria, as we said, who's not a photographer, who's a collector, and most of his, collect his collection is actually, you know, uh, um, Orientalist images and expatriate images, right? So, he gets these Orientalist images, but in it, he starts to define and start to represent the living social reality of Jerusalem, right? So he kind of, he starts to sort of rematriate these images into Palestinian life, right? Which I find really, really, really powerful because also it's, it's almost a rehearsal for the repatriation of Palestine, you know, uh, for me. Right, it's kind of a, a, um, a, a antecedent to you know Salman Abu Sifta's imagine re, re, his 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 journey back uh, uh, back to to Palestine. So I think the 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 visual I, I'm just I can't help now to see Orientalist imagery not only as a reorganization and a definition of the Orient as object as as Said said. But actually, that object is an actual resource that has been stolen away from the people of, of the, the global south of the colonial world. But what Jawahari is doing is actually sort of like redeploying these images in order to, through his own eyes, because he sees these things as a part of his actual social fabric, right? So in that regards, he sort of reanimates them with Palestinian life, Um so I don't, I don't know if that's uh, fully accurate, you know, to the question, but thank you for zooming in on that. Let me follow up with another question related to that. So I was wondering, how do fo the photographic collections of Wasif relate to the British colonial machine and also of Zionism later? I mean, that's a complex question, right? Because we know that at one level, 
I, I, you know, when we read, when we, you know, as scholars, we want to go back, we want to go and find, you know, folks from the colonial, these colonial periods, and we want to see them sort of as like awesome militants who are going to give us every line that we need, right? But when we look at um, Zawaharia, he's a typical sort of, Arab, he's, a, he's a product of, you know, Arab modernity, and he's very much a sort of petite uh, bourgeois, uh, uh, um, you know, Arab, and there are certain identifications that he has with the colonial regimes, he has friends within the colonial regimes, right? He's out, you know, having dinner with them, going to, you know, theater with them or whatever. Um, so I think it's our kind of role to think about, like, what is the what is the effect that that this archive gives us that allows us to sort of see how what he's doing is actually creating a particular sort of life world or representing a particular life world that would negate Zionist um, Zion, the Zionist project at that time. What's amazing is it's like Zionist is not represented in this, in this oof. It's not. Well, maybe because the Zionists are irrelevant. They haven't won yet. Zionists are irrelevant. They're just a bunch of freaking, you know, invaders who are like around. But, in, in, you know, there are very few images. I don't think there are any images of any European Jews in this. Uh, uh, maybe one or two, and as, but they're really as extensions of the colonial regime. Um... So I don't know if that fully answers the question, but I think he, you know, he's obviously uh, connected to the national bourgeoisie who have their own little, you know, national project. Um, but he's, you know, he's he's not this like revolutionary in many ways, even though he does represent um, some of the demonstrations that are happening at the time against the colonial regime, including including the women's uh, demonstration. Um, and you can I mean, maybe Isam and Senim can also talk about you know the the revolts of 1929 and uh, that are also uh, represented. Well, I'd like to add something, uh, Salim. Do you want to go ahead? I just wanted to add uh, a small corrective to what uh, Stefan said. He there's a very strong Jewish component in his narrative. Uh, which is not related to Zionism, but to the existence of many craftspeople, musicians, and uh, community leaders with whom he had very strong relationship. In his uh, musical band, there was a number of singers and uh, players that he describes in detail. He was close to uh, the Sephardic Jewish community, people like Eliashers and Tolidanu, who were active in the Ottoman uh, Red Cross Society. He mentions uh, the famous Leah Tannenbaum, for example, who was purposed, uh, presumably the mistress of Jamal Pasha. So there's a strong Jewish component of a period which in which Zionism was still not coalescing in the country, but which was totally transformed later. And he mentions them in a very um, matter-of-fact part of the Jerusalem community and part of his own uh, musical group. The other point uh, about uh, his relationship to the colonial regime, we have to remember this point is not highlighted in either the uh, pictorial part or in the memoirs, but he was part and parcel of the uh, mandate bureaucracy at the time. And he was there in a very sensitive role as uh, a member of the uh, secretarial uh, uh, department for taxation. 
So he was in a very critical position to observe how the British operated in order to create tax categories, land categories, which eventually played a big role in the transfer of land to the Zionists. And he does not mention himself as a resistor of that, but as an observer of what was happening. And he sees clearly how the British uh, manipulation of the fiscal um, uh, uh, department he was involved in played a catastrophic role in the fate of Palestine. I'd like to also add uh, something. Uh, go ahead, let Stephen. Me, let me just uh, clarify one point, and sorry, I just wanted to clarify, and I'm sorry if I, I was unclear. I was referring to the Jewish presence in the visual uh, um, narrative, which they're not. I, when in the written narrative, I agree with you completely, Salim. But I just also want to say that I was thinking about again how a visual narrative is uh, is constructed and the absence, or, or I would say the irrelevance of the Zionist project within that na- narrative, that visual narrative. Yeah, but in the visual narrative, we see, uh, you know, in, in, among the pictures of the clergy or religious leaders in Jerusalem, he includes the Sephardic uh, rabbi of Jerusalem. He also uh, includes images of the tragic events that took place in 1929 in Hebron, in which uh, uh, native Jews or Sephardic Jews, native of Hebron at the time, uh, were uh, slaughtered and ended up in uh, uh, their removal from the city by the the British. So uh, he does cover to some extent. But I think back to your question, Roberto, the um, images that he uses are were widely available and often used by what we consider colon, uh, orientalist uh, kind of literature and were also used by by the zionist literature but his ability to give us certain insights uh, in the images sort of pokes a hole in the in the dominant narrative of colonialism british colonialism and zionist colonialism for example, the uh, image that Salim talked about early on with, of the surrender of Jerusalem, it's an image that was published in the London Illustrated News a few days after the fall of the city, appeared in numerous books, uh, historical books and pictorial books by Zionists and by British. And often this image appears with the name of the two British soldiers and uh, the caption would say that, the, uh, I forgot right now their names, but the two British soldiers and uh, the mayor of Jerusalem and others. But Wasif gives us a, a details of each and every person in the picture except for the two British soldiers. So in some sense, he enables us to reclaim the image as part of our history rather than part of the history of the empire. I have another question about uh, 1948, Uh, the Nakba and the collections. How are they connected? The Nakba actually appears as a collapse of his own life because in 1948 he became a refugee. He lost his home and he lost his uh, museum collection of musical instruments. He became a refugee in Jericho and then in Lebanon, and he has to not beg, but to seek uh, ways in which he can borrow a oud 
to play and he became a marginal figure in the musical scene of Lebanon. Luckily, he sought some kind of employment in uh, the Lebanese um, radio station and used to perform um, a number of times in Beirut radio. And uh, that was very lucky for us because the only music we have of his voice is connected from the archives of the Lebanese uh, radio, which uh, we had um, 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 transformed into a digital uh, record and included it in the Arabic uh, version of his memoirs. So the 48 period was a great catastrophe for him personally and for his own musical career. And his, he becomes living in exile in Lebanon. So it was tragedy for himself, his family, but also for the Palestinian people. And I, I agree. And I think the the presence of the Nakba in the albums uh, is uh, uh, appears in its absence that his project was halted before the Nakba in some sense. And uh, uh, I, I think, if I recall collect- correctly, that these albums remained in his home in West Jerusalem and were, were retrieved only after 19, the occupation of the rest of Palestine in 1967. And it doesn't appear that he collected uh, further images or continued the project. So somehow, you know, uh, there is an abrupt end, which is the story of Palestine, abrupt end for Palestine itself and, and, and its disappearance. And that's what we see here, I think. Stefan, do you want to add something? It's hard to follow my two brothers when they, you know, talking about that. So I, I just want to also just kind of think about, it's hard to talk about Johari again, because there are so many different sort of sides of him, the, the written and the visual. And then there's the one that's even outside of both. And just thinking about, for example, how this collection speaks to the Nakba, as, as uh, Isam says, is sort of, when you when you're looking at the images, it gets to the you know uh, 1947, 1948, and there's some images of um, you know like the destruction of the you know King David Hotel or whatever those sorts of things. But it does sort of then ends right, and actually in the in the visual narrative, then it kind of like ricochets back into sort of giving us a sort of a topography of all of like uh, landscapes and cityscapes and stuff like that. But also the, what, what, what ends up, what we, what we are ended, what we are left with is this visual archive, right? And the visual archive that speaks to the social life of photography, right? So the social life of photography, so what Jauhari does with this image, with his, with his oof, is he allows us to see a living Palestine, but also it's this the, this archive that travels, that can't be captured by the Zionist state, right? It is. I mean, he he ends up leaving this as a whole great story about it. Selim and Hassan tell us about it. You know, of it being left in the wall, hiding, and someone has to go get it, and they pull it out, and he ends up saves his collection. 
but it's actually those surviving images that tell us that there is this thing called Palestine and the Palestinians are still there, right? We're nearly the end of a, of a you know, presentation of your book. And uh, looking at the conclusion, I was wondering about the role of Palestinian photography in the current context. How does photography enhance Palestinian historical narratives? I am a parasite in this collection uh, in, because I have with me these two great photographic historians. So I will yield uh, to their own assessment of this question. Do you want to go? Well, uh, yeah, I'll say something. Well, photography continued, became an important uh, element in the struggle uh, during the, the uh, heydays of the Palestinian Revolution, PLO, and, uh, and the production of posters, and etc. Uh, and it it's, continues to be a part of, of documentation of the treatment of Palestinians or demonstrations, arrests, etc., etc. Uh, but I think we're dealing with a different kind of photography. There, there is a great shift that not is only technological, uh, though it is in some sense a shift between what used to be kind of a tripod photography by professionals into sort of the cellular phone photography that's intended to document the crimes um, more than it actually uh, documents the daily life. I mean, that's present, but at least I'm talking about what what gets to be published in, in some sense or another. And that also tends to be sometimes problematic because it, it documents... Uh, uh, you know, uh, various elements in certain ways, but compared to Western documentation, uh, journalistic documentations of the events, journalistic documentations, particularly by Western newspapers and, and other sources, tend to look for violence only and tend to kind of uh, reproduce the image of the violent Palestinian rather than uh, the Palestinian who's sub colonized and subjected to brutal treatment and harassment. Yeah, I think that's, I, I, you know, I think Aysam puts uh, his finger on it perfectly that the photography as a medium is rife with particular tensions right, that of being represented and that of representing, right? So when we think about photography, I think within Palestine writ large, we're always pulled between seeing Palestinians as objects or as subjects. And if we see them as objects, we should see them as, if we're Zionists, as non-objects, as generic Arabs. Um, and if we're, you know, Sympathetic to Palestinians, we can see them as objects of vic uh, victimization, objects of, empathy, uh, of sympathy. But I think also what I think what we're trying to do in this piece, in this book, is to have us understand also how photography is um, a place that can represent the unbroken social life and existence of the Palestinian people, right? There, is, there are Palestinians, they are there, they have been there. There is a place called Palestine. There's settler colonial regime that is on top of the, uh, that, that, that tries to exterminate them one way or another. 
And the photographic archive allows us to connect these temporalities of before the Nakba, after the Nakba, and today, and the future of Palestine, right, which will be liberated, right? We believe in the liberation of Palestine. Palestine will be free, right? So the photographic archive, I think, for us in this piece, the Palestinian photographic archive, and the challenge is to have us retool the way that our, our methodology to see Palestinians in these images as agetic subjects that are making their own history, that make their own history, uh, that subjects in these photographs, in all Palestinian photographs, both we look at them, but to think about those subjects in those images as looking out at us too. Right, that there's a continuum between the grandfathers and grandmothers and the great grandmothers in these images and the people in Palestine now and the people who are living in forced diaspora. Right, and it's the photographic archive that binds that. So the photographic archive allows us to see and constitutes a license to a contract that there is such a thing, a kawshun, right, kawashin, right, the, the title, the title not only to the land, the title to the social relations and sociability that binds Palestinian people. Um, so I think that, to me, is methodologically what we, ha I think, a, a powerful contribution that this book is doing, um, especially to Palestine, uh, Palestinian photography and Arab photography writ large. I have one last question, and this connects uh, to the fact that uh, the, the book, the text, is enriched with 92 uh, illustrations. So I was wondering if you have uh, a favorite one, which one and why? Starting with uh, Salim. Uh, my favorite picture... Uh... I have to think a little bit, but I, it comes very quickly to my mind, is a photo of a boat being launched in the Notre Dame building, which was the Jerusalem military garrison in 1915 or 1916. And this boat became part of the Ottoman fleet in the Dead Sea where Wasif became a naval officer. So it's a very, uh, not satirical, but a very sardonic view of a ship, a wooden ship that was being shipped from Jerusalem to the Dead Sea. And that ship becomes the abode of uh, Wasif during the war. He described himself almost uh, in, in self-satire as a naval officer in the Ottoman Navy. And his job was to play the oud for the officers and the sailors who were transporting grain from the Karak region to the West Bank of the Dead Sea to support uh, the war effort. It's a very telling photograph and uh, um, it was meant as a cinemato cinema cinematographic uh, propaganda, but uh, he again inserted himself in that boat uh, as part of the war effort of the uh, Great War in, in Jerusalem and uh, Jericho. Isam, 
well, it's hard, of course, to say which is my favorite, but one, one image that comes to mind is the image of the cafe outside of Jaffa Gate. It's called Al Ma'arif. And uh, there are a few reasons for that. It's it's not the greatest picture, but but uh, it it's visually first of all. This is an area in which that entire uh, section of the city was destroyed. First, between 1948 and 1967, it was no man's land, and then after Israel's occupation of the rest of Jerusalem in 67, it was uh, kind of a buffer zone. Between between Jews and Arabs later on to become a a major highway. Uh, So that building completely disappeared. And then if we look at what was that building, it was a cafe in which they performed theatrical uh, events and uh, uh, storytelling. And, you know, uh, so in some sense, its disappearance uh, is, is symbolic of the disappearance of, of an important element of the social life of Jerusalem as a Palestinian inhabited city in some sense. So that's why I probably would say that's uh, one of my favorites. Hassam and, and Salim have a lot more discipline than me, I think. It's hard to uh, pick a favorite, as they said. I mean, part of the, um, the work that I did that brought me in contact with Salim and Hassam is actually how I talked uh, in earlier work about what Jawahariya uh, does is he puts, like, the images are already in relationship with one another, right? So this this Husseini is related to that Husseini who has this relationship with this Husseini and this, and there's Abdul Qadr in there and this, there's oh some way, and then that brings us to, you know, Musa, uh, uh, Musa uh, uh, Qadim and, uh, and and he, and one of my favorite pictures and this is, is where he's actually getting killed basically in the in the, in the the police riot in Yaffa, which is like one, I think one, it must be one of these like first, like that sort of, you know, documentary riot, you know, uh, police riot murders uh, documented in, in in real time, where he's a very small person getting beaten and dies three, three, three months later. I love. I mean, I think that's such an important picture, but also just how all these images are already set in motion, and they're already illustrating a social life of 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 jerusalem but if i were to put my uh, had to say one favorite it would be the picture of um al khaladi library because it actually illustrates both sides of what i was trying to argue which is at one level it's an orientalist image and when you see it in the context uh with an orientalist discourse it was like at i think like the saint louis um um, World Fair and these sorts of things. It's just kind of like Muslim, you know, Muslims in front of a library, right? Um, but then we learn when we scratch a little harder the, the, what this is. This it's not some ancient repository. It's actually very much a, a product of the Nahda. Um, you know, it was created um, with uh, the Khalidi family and Tahir uh, Jazairi uh, from Damascus, and so it has this rich, rich, rich um, sort of social history. That that Jawharia sees right. He doesn't see this as the generic. He when he sees this image, he sees this. He sees the social life and the social relations that that are bursting out of this image, which I love. Um, so it's kind of it illustrative of sort of the the dual vision of the indigenous Palestinian vision and that of that 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 sort of answers back to the Orientalist objectifying vision. These were Salim Tamari, 
Issam Nassar, Stephen Chiai, authors of Camera Palestina, Photography and Displays Histories of Palestine, published by University of California Press in 2022, available in paperback and also as an e-book, in fact, as an open uh, access book. Salim, Issam, Stephen, thank you so much. Thank you for having us, Roberto.